and and if even if field mouse and phantom were like yeah this is cool but like nah dog i was like i'm ready to do this myself and i have no problem with that because i got to a place where i'm like this book is something i really care about i think it's awesome i'm so excited to put this together and well cherry on top is somebody else put it together which Hey, yeah. thanks for listening. Last week's query letter debacle is resolved. The nearly finished letter has passed the sniff test and will now live with my notes and previous manuscript outputs for Blackfire. A friend of mine asked me the other day, like, are you sad about this? And I, I wouldn't classify it as sad because I'm I've started a new book, which is great. Like, I'm super excited to be back into this story. It has been a long, long time coming. Everything is just clicking into place, which really feels great. Um, I was said to uh, uh, someone this morning, the excitement of starting a new writing project is like the equivalent of starting a new art project where you get to go buy art supplies. But in this case, get to you know build spreadsheets and uh scribble with a red pen on uh printout so i guess that's the, the writer's equivalent of that although i really really want to get a new fountain pen i deserve that right right one thing i've done going back decades i've given my design projects code names to protect the client's intelligence property just in case so moving forward when I referred to Project Hammer Echo or Hammer Echo, that's what I'm talking about. That's the new book. It has nothing to do with the book, but it uh, it fits. Keep an eye out for a newsletter update soon, which I'll kind of go into a little more detail about a few things. And as I was putting this together, I think I've cracked the code on how I can do a daily update for the the progress of the book, which is a really helpful thing for me and to make it public so um, the people who care can keep an eye on it and that way I have to stay honest. So this week's guest is Beth Hetland, and Beth has a new graphic novel coming out called Tender from Fantagraphics. And she is an adjunct professor for art. And we had this great conversation about academia, about writing, about making comics, about following your path, about social pressure. Her book is this psychological thriller horror tale, which really leans heavy on uh, social pressures. And it really, I, I've re- I read it and it is really good like i totally dug it it is painful and brutal but in all the ways that are provocative in the terms to get you thinking and talking about stuff so definitely check it out if you can um i think there's a link for the pre-orders in the description and one more quickie um this was recorded through my earbuds so it's not as you know, radio sounding is normal. So I apologize for the technical difficulties. Thanks. Buckle up. This is me and Beth Hetland. You've done a lot of 
books of your own mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and with your collaborator, how strategic are you or are you still in sort of that art degree mindset or MFA mindset or have you sort of like evolved beyond those two to say like, okay, here's what I, here's how I need to approach what I want to do going forward. Um, I, I mean, I am very strategic about like where my time goes, I would say. And I think that right. for me, because, you know, like many folks, I, I have my day job, which is teaching and like, ultimately that's what pays my bills right now. And so my like, a like strategic choices have to do with how do I, or at least for the, since I started teaching and started moving up kind of the adjunct ladder. So now, um, just for clarity's sake, I'm, I'm the highest adjunct I can be at my current institution at SAIC. So that means the only place I can go from here is either a different school or to get full-time and begin the tenure track. Um, so part of my whole goal is to like, if I get tenure, then I get more job security and theoretically more pay, which means I need to kind of be thoughtful about the projects that I'm doing and how those reflect on like the expectations of my school in some way. I mean, of course there's like what I'm interested in, what I want to do, all of that. I'm a big, I love self-publishing. I love a physical object. I love being able to like make things. Um, Mm -hmm. but one of the biggest criticisms I received as I've been going through these various promotion processes is, you know, Hey, you don't have a book with a publisher, um, and not for lack of offers, (laughs) um, which I feel very privileged to have, but for lack of finding the right place for the right project and the right thing, um, until now. So this is, I'm hoping going to continue to kind of pave that path of, my of protecting my most precious commodity which is my time um to be like okay well more you know less actual physical teaching and more kind of like security for that means that i can really dedicate a little bit more time to what kind of projects i want to pursue so right now i'm um uh i mean and also just self publishing goes like there's so much that i think feeds directly into my interest in like artist books and kind of the like printmaking aspect of things so i don't know the the strategic choice i don't th- i would say like right now i'm not thinking okay here's my debut book it comes out you know march 12th so we're getting getting close to the one month mark for when we're recording this. Um, but I don't know what the next kind of step or move is necessarily strategic wise. Right. Um, I know what projects I'm interested in doing and I have like things that are in process or various things that I'm kind of noodling around. But I don't have like I'm not quite sure until this comes out and see kind of, you know, what the reception is and kind of ride the wave of having a book with a publisher and see like, what, what do I like? What do I not like about that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you're saying, you're talking about like, it's in a very different world because you're in academia. Yeah. And <laughs> this, because like, I understand, I understand that world in a non, you know, in a non creative aspect. Like I, I know people, you know, in academia and like, like, well, they need to publish, mm-hmm. like they need to publish to, you know, sort of justify their position and, and the, what they're, tra- where they're tracking. 
if especially if they're looking for tenure and yeah. then if you are tenured you need to you need to publish because you need to be an asset to the university yeah. and so all that and and it's so interesting because when you're talking I'm like oh like it's as legitimate to publish you know a graphic novel mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. it is a paper on you know proteins and how they interact <laughs> with you know you know the specific light spectrum you know yeah yeah it it is i mean i think that one of the things that is maybe and i i can only i can only speak from the the institution that i teach sure. at right is like i have not worked at other art schools in a long term right. capacity i've like taught at other art schools but not not for like years or semesters or things like that, like workshops I've done. But um, part of my contract and part of my deal with a teacher is I need to be an active participant in my own art practice, um, which is considered, you know, is that gallery shows, is that performances, is that um, publishing? Exactly. So that's, that can be part of it, but it's, it is very similar. (laughs) I I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's fantastic to think about it in those terms because I don't, you know, because listen, I, you know, I went to SVA mm. and, you know, even though they have an MFA program, I don't think the rigor in the terms of what the, who the instructors are for the, that is the same as it would be for Yale, you yeah. know, like, right. I just think right. that I think like there was, there isn't a pressure probably on those um, instructors to publish or whatever the thing is, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, yes, they need to be, you know, active, you know, gallery shows, et cetera, and so forth, I would assume. But, um, but we're, you know, I don't know, it's to me, it's fa- to me, this is a fascinating idea, like of thinking <laughs> how art in, especially in the terms of comic books, you know, applies to that. And, uh, you know, and just, you know, I'm like, you know, Hey, I'm learning right now. So this yeah. is good. I mean, and also a lot of the, you know, well, some of the classes that I teach are about professional development. And so a big facet of me being interested in working with a publisher or fielding offers or like kind of just collecting and, and like you said, learning about all of this is that I want to share this with my students. When I was starting out, I had never seen a publishing contract. I had no idea what I should be looking for. I didn't know how to protect what I wanted to keep for myself, like did not know what work for hire was, did not, you know, all of this stuff that I think is really necessary for somebody who wants a career or wants to have a path either in comics or illustration or animation even, you know, there's there's shared language in some of these areas. And it wasn't until I went to the Center for Cartoon Studies that some of that became clear of what was really needed and, and that understanding. And I feel like that's you shouldn't have to get an MFA just to learn that. Um, that should be something that as like mentorship, yeah. as colleagues, like this is how, like so much of learning this is from my friends in comics and me being like, what do I do? Like, help help me figure this out. And like, I yeah. want to do that for my students is that it, it would be such a disservice, I think, to not, even if I find like, even if a contract or an offer has been made to me that I know I'm not going to accept and being transparent with that entity to say, you know, can I still see your documents? Like this is educational Mm -hmm. for me, or this is part of what I'm interested in and, and, and being clear about why I'm saying no. And also being able to like bring that back into the classroom and share that with my students is really, really valuable to me. Well, you know, I, and I think that's, you know, you're bringing what I think is an important, um, point of view which artists have a very hard time on 
understanding is that you don't have to say yes. It's like, it, it's like, it's like that school, you know, like, well, the first person to ask me to the dance is the one I say yes to. It's like, it doesn't always have to be that way. Like right. if you really don't think this is a comfortable situation, say no. And it's a business relationship. And just because someone is saying, I want, Hey, we want to do this with you. It may not be the right one for you. Even if they're the nicest people in the world, if it's a, it's yeah. a great publisher, it just might not be the right place for the right thing for where you want to take your work. But if only if, if you're new and you've only been to one dance and you've only been yep. asked by one person, you don't know that. And I think that, it's it can be it can be very exciting i think like you know i never want to um do a disservice for how how that feels to have that person sure. be interested but i also like you said like i i want someone to be informed about when they're agreeing to bring a project to work with a you know a different entity or when you're bringing somebody else in like that's a very big deal yeah absolutely and and you know the publishing world is a tough world mm-hmm. and you know, outside, listen, even with big publishers, it's business. Their job is to make the most that they can, you know, and and give the least to do that. That's business. Like, (laughs) it's just how it works. And it's not, you know, and it's not personal, but you can't, it's real hard to not let yourself be put in a situation where you are taken advantage of, which happens and it'll happen with everybody, most everybody's career at one point or the other. And it's, and it sucks. And I think what's wonderful is that you're trying to advance the learning curve outside of the MFA world, which has always been the sort of the, you know, the, the black arts, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> look at that person. And then the gallery shows and the fancy CV because they went to you know, an right. MFA program. They got, they have the secret handshake. They know what to do. Yeah. It, it, it's partially true um, because their success is a success for the institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much more so than the BFA. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's still, you know, it's still secret handshake zone in an art school BFA, right? Like, but I think that that movement, or I, I feel very um, connected to shared uh, resources, shared transparency, collective understanding, collective learning. And like, you know, as much as, yeah, being at an art school pays my bills, I also feel like it's important to recognize, like, if you're making comics, just make the comics. Like, you don't, you don't need anything else. And if, you know, you want that excellent that's the route that i took but like i just feel like that kind of thing is is really important so yeah yeah i mean i mean for the most part we you don't need someone's permission to make something Mm -mm. you know it's it's pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty free and open road in that respect which is tough because without boundaries and without sort of you know limitations it can be a little overwhelming yeah so to be able to define these things for yourself does make, does make it a little bit easier. Or if there's an external force saying, Hey, we need this by this amount of time, you know, you go, Oh, okay. I got to get it done. So it, mm-hmm. it, these are the things that we, you, the benefits, you know, money aside, the benefits are that there is, a, there is a sort of an external force that is dictating your completion. 
Yeah, absolutely. Plus, like, you know, there's we could go on and on about why the benefits that I see and the benefits that I feel about like community, about like the acceleration that education or like an institution gives you, like just time and space dedicated to growing your practice at a rate that's so much faster than typically when you're doing it by yourself. But like that's that's just the that's the way it is. But at the end of the day, you know, it's helpful, but these are also tools versus like the hardest thing is just putting the butt in the chair, right? <laughs> For anybody. <laughs> sure. No, that's, that is, I mean, that's it. I mean, we, you know, we finished up our, our writers group on Saturday and there was a, there was one new person there who had never done writing. And he was, you know, and he had this idea and it's really fun and we're like, Oh my God. And everybody's just like super act, you know, active and fired up. And I said, okay, well now's the time that we have to t- now be, you know, convert potential, you know, potential energy into kinetic energy. Yep. Like this isn't, you know, don't let this just fizzle into nothing, go do something with it. And yeah. because that's the, that's the problem. Like we, we talk about the things and that is a, like a sort of a, you know, a balm or a substitution for actually doing things for, <laughs> you know, for, for many people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's so much that, and I see this with folks who are in school and folks who are not in school is that the difference is, did you do the thing that you like, did you make it, um, you know, or are you just talking about making it? And I think, right. you know, there, there are lots of reasons why somebody may or may not get an opportunity to, but like developing something can only go so far. Like you said, it has to be converted into kinetic energy. And if like, you can't get feedback, you can't grow, you can't change, you can't excel until you've made a thing, like even if it's a, a bad thing or if it's like not very good or not your best, like, well, and that's the way that you learn. it has to be bad. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has to, to be, to be it has to be. <laughs> like that's the, like, I think, you know, we all want to do amazing, and I'm, you know, I'm really only talking in the, in the creative arts in this respect, but like we all want to make amazing and fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, we don't like, yeah, I mean, I just want to make some mediocre things. Like nobody <laughs> says that. And you go, you, you jump into this thing, but the, the hard part is, is that we already know what is great. Mm-hmm. You know, what's great. It's because it's what you love. Yeah. You love, Oh, I love that band or I love that book or I love the, whatever that painting. Right. But then we are judging our, creativity against what we already consider greatness mm-hmm. and we know we're we all know we're not there like right. yes we could be we could be brash and young go yeah i'm, I'm the fucking best you know <laughs> but the thing is is like you you don't you know deep in your heart you know you're not there yet so yeah. that fear of putting that thing it's like it's like picking up the, an instrument and going oh, i'd love to play this instrument and then you make this horrible sound and you go, well, maybe I don't want to play this instrument, you know, because to get to that point where it doesn't sound horrible is a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And and I think that that's also what, you know, stops people from drawing or pursuing, you know, creative practices in a lot of different ways. That's Linda Berry's whole model, right, is, you know, anybody can do this. You just have to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I think I remember a, uh, like a while ago, somebody, I don't know, put a thing out there, you know, like <laughs> Porneal Gaiman. I mean, not Porneal Gaiman, but Porneal Gaiman because every, everybody at messages Neil Gaiman on social media because he's a really good person and he seems to like engage. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, someone's like, oh, like, da 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 da. You know, I, I want, I've got this idea for a comic book. I just don't know what I can, you know, what to do. And then Neil's response was like, well, it sounds like you probably should make friends with an artist, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, and I said that, or just do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> or start because, drawing. Yeah. Right. Or start drawing, or start drawing it because it doesn't matter. Like it's going to like, you know, I mean, you have to be willing to be, to be bad, to become good. Yeah. Like it's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. I mean, I think that though, don't you think that there is, um, like there's some folks that just aren't willing to accept that or aren't willing to like, Oh, for sure. Suffer through the, the like, wow, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. all the people, all the people who you went to art school with, who didn't show up the next year. Yeah. All the people mm -hmm. you graduated from art school with who are working different jobs. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and, and they're not saying that it's like, if you just do it, you'll be successful at it. That's not the case. I mean, obviously we know timing, luck, you know, hard work, you know, being in the right place, all those things do matter. The secret handshake. Um, <laughs> but like, there's a there's a fear like i you know i have you know a very close friend who was like the the golden child you know in art school when it came in his discipline and he didn't do anything and he he admitted to me years and years and years later he's like you know like i was just kind of scared yeah i'm like okay yeah. like that's that's as absolutely valid as anything else absolutely one of my um one of the resources we have at the school is this like artist books collection and they collect student work of course um it's called the Joan Flash artist books collection but I take my students there and one of my favorite visits um because they'll pull my stuff from when I was a student um or like some of the things from very very early in my career and one of my students found one one time and held it up in front of this entire class of people and went look how bad you were nice <laughs> And I just, I think about that all the time and not in a way that like, I want to rip that student. No, not at all. I just think it's so funny and like really powerful to be like, look, yes, that was me. Like I did that and it was bad, but now look where I'm at, but I wouldn't be here right. if I w didn't keep going, you know, totally. <laughs> or, or find myself thinking this is great at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, those people never get too far when they're, they're really, really happy with what they did. Like it just, you know, there's some amount of delusion, some amount of delusion you need though. Right. <laughs> that's the only thing that keeps you going, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I like, I think I always afforded myself maybe like two or three minutes of like satisfaction. And then I'm like, Oh, that's horrible. You know, <laughs> it's always that, always that. Yeah. It was the worst. So what are you teaching? Um, this semester I'm teaching, um, a capstone, which is like a senior class. It's sort of like a thesis class for cartoonists. So they're working on like a single kind of like thesis based project for the whole semester. And we do some like professional development stuff. So they get like a tabling experience, um, and then the uh, that artist book collection will collect their final projects. Um, I'm also teaching a professional practices class, which is like a junior level class. So that's the contracts, resumes, cover letters, invoices, um, how to network mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and then I'm also doing some graduate advising with I have predominantly writing students. And then um, I have one print media student this semester, but all of them are kind of... Some are doing comics, some are doing prose, some are um, 
doing like sort of installation work, various different things. But that one's that's really fun because it's very just like individual meetings, checking in on like projects with uh, master's students and just kind of having interesting conversations about what they want to do with their art practice. But that's what I'm teaching this semester. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you were these were these sort of slots or something that you had to develop the curriculum for? Um, for the junior and senior class, I developed the curriculum for both of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's a. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm. Re- I feel really. Uh, I feel really excited about them. There again, these are the types of classes that I wish had existed when I was a student, and so that's a lot of how I approach like building classes and proposing classes um, because SAAC in particular doesn't have like a comics or illustration department. It's like very interdisciplinary. So these classes are kind of seated all across the institution, which is both a positive and a negative. I think the positive side for me is that I have a lot of opportunity as well as other faculty to like pitch and develop new things and different pockets. Um, The negative is of course that there's some, like it's hard to organize it. There's some overlap. There's not exactly the best like hierarchy with it, but, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy with those and uh, I feel really, really lucky to be able to teach them. So. That's really cool. I, I wonder, I have no idea what the curriculum is uh, currently, you know, at, at SVA. Cause I went there and studied, you know, cartoon, tuning i mean i Mm. I was only focused on becoming a comic book artist and um and you know and i you know i think it was all secret handshake you know you know i'm happened to be at an art school in new york city Mm -hmm. with teachers who were teaching who were professionals in the business and it it made it it made it easy to bridge the gap in that in that sense you know if you had an assistant editor to come in and talk to the class you can walk up and say could i give you a call you know, and mm-hmm. you know, that made that pretty easy. Um, yeah. You know, what you do once you get in the door, that's all up to you. I think, right. you know, all the, all the glad handings over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that way about my time studying at the Center for Cartoon Studies is it, it felt like being in, or it still feels this way is like being in that club or being in uh, with such proximity of like really incredible faculty, really incredible cartoonists. And then every week, they have like a visiting artist. And so it would be very similar to that. And one of those weeks is specifically like an industry focused day. And so they would bring in editors and art directors. Um, And although Vermont is not at all New York, um, it's a close enough train ride or flight to get some like pretty, pretty big name contacts. And so that was really, really nice. Oh, that's yeah. No, I think it's, um, I'm also just amazed at the, proliferation mm. of the medium in the sense because you know you know traveling back in time to when i was in you know in school there were two choices and that you know yeah. maybe a third ish choice you know scad was kind of a, a choice but it really was sva and um the cubert school right and then after that it was you know and one was a one was a college and the other one was you know you know kind of a trade school you know right. an accredited trade school to you know be you know to do that um and now to see so many programs across the country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's such a testament to the form exceeding 
you know, the, the gutters of superhero comic books. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree, I think. And there's still so much new, like new work that is really exciting and feels like it's redefining or finding new areas of the medium that haven't really been like poked and prodded at yet. And I think that that's really exciting to see. And I, you know, that, I don't know if that comes specifically from just like more people have access to publishing opportunities. I don't know if that comes from just like conventions and zine shows. I don't know if that comes from just like the fun DIY experimentation stuff um, or if that's a testament to like the educational growth or, um, you know, opportunities for that. Yeah, I I mean... <sighs> all of the above. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has to be, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean and you know, we're, you know, you're looking at generations now growing up seeing more and more in a breadth of stuff where you know, I mean and I, listen, I'll say the the influx of manga on the, let's just say the American comic reading, you know, mm. numbers it's not that that specifically is like, oh, everyone's going to go do that. What it does is it says, oh, there's something completely different than what I've seen before, you know, that yeah. might be X-Men or something like that, which right. is totally fine. But like when you say, oh, there's a completely different thing, what else is there? Mm -hmm. And then that's when you can kind of discover and see, you know, all this creativity that isn't, you know, on the bookshelf of whatever place that you normally see it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think also that expansion that specifically manga has of like comics for adults and like comics that are intended to grow with their audience versus the US market which so frequently only hyperfixates on that middle grade or YA section and like just because that's marketable or popular that they're I think we're hitting a place and have been for a bit of like those children are aging up and wondering what else they can read because we don't, yeah. we just, in the States, it's just not enough, you know, it's not enough good quality and supported right. for adult content versus like manga specifically. I totally agree. And it's, it's, it's something that's been plaguing me for, <laughs> I don't know, five-ish years and this whole concept that, you know, it's, it's sort of like soccer mm. or, bicycles like soccer and bicycles like kids grow up and they're you know they play soccer and they ride bicycles around mm -hmm. and then they get interested in you know extracurricular activities with other people and or driving and those things disappear and we you know there's no question soccer is the biggest sport in the world there's no sport that even comes close in yeah. right you know in, in scope but in our country, we don't produce the level of soccer players that, you know, a second world nation, you know, in Africa, not knocking them, but they're producing better soccer players. Why? Because soccer is the big, big sport in their nation. So everybody wants to be a soccer player, but everyone here wants to be a football player, a basketball player, a baseball player, not a soccer player. Mm. And and I think that that type of stuff makes it very hard to get further. And I'm going to tie this all together. Makes, makes sense. <laughs> I was but, like, we're really out of my depth when we're talking about soccer, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. 
<laughs> but the the whole middle grade YA graphic novel market, which is huge mm-hmm. and making amazing things, is the same thing as the soccer ball. So when they hit the age of 16 to years old, well, all those books, there's nothing to follow it up with. Yeah. Yeah. So they, and they go, you know what? But I'm not, I'm not a superhero person. I like these kinds of stories. So it goes away for them. And I don't know why the publishing houses don't realize that they can grow their audience rather than produce products which fall in the same realm as, and I'm going to date myself as a, you know, a, a, a VCR tape or a DVD mm. to entertain your child for a period of time. So they're not under, you know, they're not causing problems. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I'm curious to see how it all shakes out because so many, like all my nieces and like many of my friends' kids are learning to read exclusively on comics. And that's the only way that they're finding joy in reading is that, you know, there are, and like, you know, the more awareness we have about like neurodivergence and about different learning styles and about all of these other things is like, you know, neuro- neurodivergence doesn't end when you hit 16. Like, it's not done. Gone. I'm done yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you're like, it's so easy. Like, it just doesn't happen. And, and I Give think- me that biography on Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that, like, there's there's stuff that, like, that I think, you know, even the, the prevalence of audiobooks, I think also, like, the different headway we're making on accessibility formats. But all, all of that is stuff that I think feeds into it, but I, I agree is that I, I really don't understand why there are not, why the, the publishing industry, right? Like speaking in generalizations is not picking up on the fact that like your readers will grow up and you could have things for them that they might like. Like, I think a really good example though, right now that's happening in real time is the Tamaki cousins, right? their new book roaming which is still ya ish right like it's being marketed as ya ish but like is specifically about um you know early 20s in new york and like that is not quite it's very very cusp ya if that at all and i think that you'd find that folks who grew up reading this one summer or um uh super mutant magic academy or um uh Laura Dean's breaking up with me like this this group of folks is going to immediately go buy Tamaki's like if Raina Tel- imagine if Raina Telgemeier did like a adult comic sure <laughs> like, right, right like yeah like graduate she graduates SVA right and and and, and what and and you know her the next five years of her life is her is her next series of of you know books that she's going to do that would be very interesting you know, like, how, what would the response be from the the market? Like, I listen, I get it. There's always going to be 14 year old yeah. boys, so you're always going to keep printing Spider Man, exactly, because they're going to want to keep reading that. I mm-hmm. get that, but it feels to me. I mean, listen, there are smarter people out there in the world than you and I, and I get this, and they <laughs> probably have you? spread. <laughs> I know, I have. They have spreadsheets, and these spreadsheets say, yeah. like, well, listen, right. the 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 re the historically reading drops off for anybody over the age of 16 years old on an independent level 
and they don't pick up reading again until their late twenties and early thirties. Right. Uh, okay. Sure. Like, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm making this up. Of course. No, I know. <laughs> but that could be, that could be it. They could just be saying, Hey, there's nothing more. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we did this, it's a, it's a, it might be, it might be, it's a big risk. Absolutely. I, I don't, I'm... I don't agree because I think like, I know that like Hope Larson is making yeah. like her, her books are, her books are aging. Like yes. she's, you know, she's, her subject matter is getting getting more there, and you know, I think she has many more younger stories in her because she has a little kid, so she's going to probably you know kind of create from that point that that world. But Hope's more than capable of writing, you know, adult based stuff. Period. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you saying like identifying and and just like with anything, like you said, we go back to this is a business and. Um you know, there, there are risks with it and the risks are a, um, they're tangible. They're not, they're not a guess of, oh, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't is like the risks are real. And I think that that's probably, or at least I can only assume one of the biggest factors of why that might be is that of all the things that an adult can spend there, whatever little, you know, their flexible income can be on is, is it going to be comics? I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard right. gamble right now. And I think that that's, that's real, you know? I went to, I went to, went to Barnes and Noble the other weekend. Um, because I, I, I like to put up um, a post of whatever book I complete just so mm-hmm. I can put it up there. And even with audiobooks, I like to put the actual physical book image there. So I went to go grab a couple books and take a couple snapshots. And I was in the science fiction fantasy area and it was packed it Mm. was packed with young to old people grabbing books yes and i'm like and so i'm like oh wait a minute like i kind of like stood back i started observing like a creepy old guy (laughs) and i'm like watching all these people do their thing and i'm like oh this is really fascinating and then i sort of drifted to the side and i got into the manga section in this group of like five to six you know, friends came over and they're all like, boom, 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 pointing and da, 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 da. but they all walked away with nothing. Mm. But the people in the book section were walking out with two or three books. Interesting. And I, and I was really curious that like, and I don't know, I don't know if they're doing the sort of the Amazon thing where they're like, they're like, okay, that's the thing I'm going right. to be interested in. Mm. Now I'm going to get the digital version of it or whatever, or yeah. whatever. But, you know, comic comics, the investment of time is very narrow, very slim. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, your engagement with them versus a novel, like a novel is going to like, you're going to be with this thing for a little, you know, a chunk of time. And so maybe if someone's like, well, if I'm going to spend $17, I'm going to spend $17 on something that's going to give me weeks of entertainment versus an afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, Please buy comics, read comics. Awesome. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, you know, but I, you know, you wonder about the economics and I realized, I don't know what it was, but the publishing industry isn't run by agents. It's not run by people who read. It's not run by the publishers. It's run by shelf space. Yep. And you listen there's there's so much great stuff out there but there's no store that can put all those things on the shelf yeah yeah so even the largest book chain in the world barnes and noble 
can't carry everything. Mm-hmm. And it, let's say our let's say you and I are the smartest people in the world, and we've just like like and and the big four are listening in on this, and they go. By Jove, they're right. We're going to do older graphic novels for, you know, to grow our audience. There's no shelf space for yeah. it. There's no section in Barnes & Noble, let alone an independent bookseller, mm-hmm. to say, here we go. We're going to, you know, we have all these middle grade, all these young adult, and now we are going to do the same number for adult that, that they don't have it. Yeah, it's just not there. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's interesting. I mean, and we're and we are in a very fluid media stage in time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that like a lot of yeah, like webtoons is a great example of people reading and consuming lots and lots of comics, but not necessarily buying them and not necessarily um, having to keep up shelf space in their own home of where they're keeping it and it's just on their phone which is something they carry with them all the time anyway um, or you know any any number of that I mean I think I don't know though I there's the the media thing is interesting to me because I feel like there's push and pull over time and and cycles of like people being interested in the physical media and then shifting back to digital and then going back like I had somebody be like yeah, I'm so sick of all these streaming services. I'm just going to start buying DVDs again. And I was like, oh my God, I just, like, I feel like I just got rid of mine. And now I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? But like, also, I'm somebody who yeah. was born in the 80s and I collect records. Like, that doesn't make any I sense. Know. But I like them. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, yeah, right, exactly. You are not the demographic no. for the, for the record in that respect. But, you know, I mean, and listen, there's a curse. There's a curse of certain people in the world that we are attracted to physical objects. Yeah. And it's really hard to not carry on with that fixation of whatever the thing would be. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I think so that, you know, is this going to solve the the shelf space or the marketing issue or anything? No, absolutely not. But I think no. it is interesting to kind of note and see the the ebbs and flows of, of where that goes and what draws people's attention. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like right about here with the the streaming services, and you know, I you know, I mean, listen, Apple can change their mind any moment, and I lose all the movies I bought from them. Right? Yeah. Like, like I I remember like I got an email from Google saying we're you know, hey we sold Google domains to GoDaddy or something, and I'm like wait you're Google and you sold off your domain business to another company and I chose to go with you because I felt I was like centralizing all of my stuff so I could, you know, manage it. And now I have to like go elsewhere. I'm like, this is, I'm going to become my own domain company just so I don't have to deal with them. I'm joking. This is a legit nightmare. That's terrible. I had no idea. I know. I don't know. I mean, maybe they changed your mind. Um, (laughs) So, what, what a fun note <laughs> yeah <laughs> um do you, i mean you were talking about making things the objects and we were talking about kind of like you know just about the obsessive nature of the physical thing like can you track your interest in making objects to and bring it to the point of 
making comics, you know, in the various forms that you've made them. I mean, like there are plenty, you have all these cool handmade pieces that you've done there in your, your, uh, your portfolio of work. And, but I'm just curious, like how, like, where did that start? Can you, can you, can you like make that domino stack? I think so. I think, I mean, I can, I can certainly take a stab at it. I think, um, hmm. so I guess if I am pushing kind of backwards pretty far. So I grew up, um, in Wisconsin and my family was really involved in community theater, um, which, you know, do some people are, are haters of it. I loved it. It was like having another family. I'm a big theater dork. I'm going to own it. I don't, I don't mind at all. Um, but <laughs> no I, shame. No shame. I, I got really interested in like right away. I was not, I was on stage for some productions, but I, I pretty quickly found that my like calling, if you want to say that is like in stage management and behind the scenes and props and set design. Um, so I think from a pretty young age, we're talking like, late middle school early high school even I was involved in like thinking about like prop making thinking about like set painting thinking about like what does it look like to have something that's a two-dimensional object up close but then from far away it looks three-dimensional um that was really interesting to me like or the difference of like we're gonna do these certain techniques to make it look as though there is rocks and fields and grass everywhere, but actually that's not what it is. So I think that is like a really strong kind of like core memory of like physical working on stuff. Um, and that I think trickles into like my high school education and like the art class that I had, which was great. And she was really encouraging of um, like different experimentation of medium. So I distinctly remember I was also, of you know, this is, this makes me so cool. So I understand if you're going to be jealous, but a big anime kid. Um, and so like a lot of my <laughs> early high school portfolio was just copying, you know, the favorite characters I liked from anime. Um, right. And then my art teacher, very gently, very kindly, love her. Thank you, Mrs. Mateson. Um, you know, encouraged me to look at like pop art, encouraged me to look at other mediums. And so I really remember some of the work that became interesting to me was doing actually like comics as embroidery work and doing like stitch work and fibers work, which is also such a physical medium. Um, And then of course that led to SAIC, which SAC is, you know, freaky art school um, for undergrad. That's where I went. And it was a lot about, um, I was interested in animation, specifically puppet animation. So again, seeing like prop design, seeing set design, seeing the like physicality, I felt really excited to work. We actually worked on film for some of the projects, which was really cool. Um, Not getting to develop it ourselves, but being able to like shoot on film and have setups and, and do all the lighting and stuff. And then I took a class that really shifted the trajectory of my making. And so for a long time, it was like, theater was what I wanted to do. And then animation was what I wanted to do. And I took this class that was a combination like fibers and screen printing class and then comics class. And so it was taking comics vocabulary and tools and creating like installation or fabric work. So thinking about like Hmm. narrative textiles or quilting or um, 3d work, like soft sculpture and that like, 
blew the roof off of my brain and I was like whoa printing comics this is it and I really fell in love with printmaking I fell in love with like making artist books um and so that like the tactile component of that of like knowing paper understanding how like different print processes work um and there's digital involved in that but was very much like about the physical thing that you get at the end and that that being intrinsically related to how somebody interacts with the thing um because i don't i don't love reading things digitally um just personally like my own interest i really like an audiobook um i feel like digital read is fine but if i have my preference i want like a physical book um and that just kind of I feel like that kind of takes us to where, where I'm at right now. And that, that continued in grad school that continues now. I worked when I was at grad school, I worked at the Dartmouth um, book and paper, like their library section. So I was like rehousing library books and working with like, like artist books and um, studying under a conservator, which was really cool. And so like really learning a lot of, quote unquote proper technique and not just like artist technique um which I have of course forgotten since then sorry Deborah um but (laughs) I think that stuff is still really fascinating and um yeah so still really invested in like printmaking really invested in all of that and that has such strong ties to comics and the history of comics Mm so yeah for sure yeah yeah I mean I think that's I mean yeah I mean printmaking is just the low end production scale of you know printing you know it's it's all the same it's just how however you know the execution um i love the idea of working with some conservation i think that's fascinating it was Um, so cool i got to like handle like 14th century like books like repair like sheepskin leather and like we washed these newspapers which i didn't know was even possible that was like really crazy and i was like this is gonna disintegrate and it didn't you know it was it was really such a cool i feel so lucky to have done that position i think i mean i love teaching but like honestly like i think maybe that was my favorite job i've ever had it's like working in this like not even dungeon but like this book i don't know this like book hospital it was so cool it was so cool all the time every day i love that term book hospital um uh you know i mean when i got into graphic design i um i i I grew up so i grew up my, my father was an engineer and i grew up in a workshop so anytime i said like oh this is cool, or I really would like. I'd, I'd like. I'd like that. And you go, all right. Well, let's figure out how to make it. You know. And we would go cool. and we would figure out how to make something. So I was a big nerdy little, you know, kid. And I was like, oh, I love Star Trek. I want to have a tricorder. And so we like went to like Radio Shack and we bought all these electronic pieces and we made. I mean, it, it wasn't that, but it was enough for an eight-year-old kid to go. A guy pushes a button and it makes a noise and a light comes on. You know. <laughs> And That's it was so like, cool. it, but that was my whole, that was my whole life growing up. And mm-hmm. so like making things is kind of part and parcel of what I do. And I had this, um, so I'm like, okay, well, I need to make a portfolio, like a book for my design, you know, you know, to go get a gig. So I need to be able to have this thing. So I designed this thing out because, you know, 
course, nothing met my standards of what I wanted it to be out there in the real world, which was stupid because, they, you know, they, they were just fine. But I ended up like figuring out how to <clears throat> do book binding just because mm. I'm like, this is what this is what I want. And so I there was a phenomenal book binding supply company called Talus. Hell yeah, Talus. What's up? Right. I so, love Talus. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, you know, so and I lived in Manhattan, so I would go, I went down there and their old old place was beautiful. I mean, it was this uh-huh. loft. You'd walk up and you it was just what is this? You know, it was this gorgeous huge loft space full of rows of all their magic. Wow. And I you know, and so I'm like, you know, getting bored and I'm learning how to like, you know, wrap things and do all this stuff. And it was great. Like it was just the best. I'm like, and it was one of those things, you know, I don't do it anymore. I have most of the supplies still. Um, Look right here. Yay. Um, (laughs) And you know, like, it's just like, but there, but it was like one of those things, like it's that making thing where you're like, well, make your tools, you know, customize your tools do the thing to make the thing that you want so that totally ties in like you know like i can so understand why like you go okay cool i'm gonna make i'm gonna print make i'm gonna print onto this fabric and i'm gonna sew this together and bind it and make a make a one-off you know story right here Mm -hmm. yeah it was a big it's also interesting too because now now that i have um so I, in my basement, I have, uh, with my, so my collaborator and I co-own a building and we, um, have a shared basement space and that space is part of our shared studio. And so for him, he does a lot more of like woodworking stuff. And then, um, but we also work on print and comics together. So we have now like a print studio space in our basement which allows us to really like get in the weeds and get nitty-gritty with stuff so we just got we had an, a copier that I found on eBay for like 400 bucks nice. <laughs> and he has since died but we just got it we just got a new one who's like very very fancy and and brand new but the you know as much as RIP fast Eddie um he taught us so much taught me so much about like how it's working what's working what's not working like the different like limits of what I could do and then we just got we got this new copier we got a Rizzo we have a guillotine we have a perfect binder like we have screen printing facilities it's like it's a whole we have like a you know plotter like those cricket plotter cutter guys um but it's it's really fascinating and so that like the ability to find a thing and have it make what you want it to make is so necessary to me. And it's, I can't tell you how hard it was to like, let go of some of those instincts working with a publisher to be like, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Was really, was an unexpected difficulty for me. (laughs) Really? Okay. So let's, let's talk, let's talk. Like what were, like what was the ins- what was your instinct and then what w- what did you have to sort of like go talk to yourself and say okay look, 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 I can't like I have to talk myself off the ledge here like what is it well one of the big so I I don't I don't want to say that ne- you know that uh, there aren't things that they contributed that were great they were fantastic um and in fact it was more of like the immediate gratification to be like I made a thing here it is 
I like had <laughs> to yeah, I had to like submit <laughs> the files and like, you know, we right. checked everything and like I didn't get to physically hold like proofs or anything and that was so right. hard for me. You so know. you're trusting somebody else like Kayla. Yep. To you know to to man, no, literally to it was your... it was Kayla was the designer oh, okay. on my book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you're trusting Kayla to to manage your you know, the, the actual production flow of your book. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get Kayla, that. Kayla yeah. and Paul, and, and they did a fantastic job, but it's so hard to, um, you know, th- and there's also lots of things that I didn't know, right? Like there's some aspects of like for the book, um, the cover has an emboss on it. Um, and so some the, the figures on the cover and the meat and then the title are embossed. And so that obviously needs a separate file so that the printer knows that like these elements need to stick up. And so like, what is the specs of that kind of file that need to be submitted? Or, you know, I don't, I didn't know, like Kayla and I talked about it and I was like, I like this book. I like this book. I like this book. And like talked about different comps or textures. Um, but at the end of the day, when the the advanced copy arrived, I was like, oh, finally, but it was so long to have to wait and to only see right. virtual proofs and like feeling just like anxious because obviously like I'm not printing it. It was it was just a whole other realm of being like, wow, I'm I really I have to let go. Like I have to trust other people. I have to, you know, be reassured like they do this all the time all day (laughs) this is the thing like you know it's fine and and so that was just it was more like emotionally hard just because i'm so used to diy and and self-publishing thing do you think this is what homeschool parents feel like when uh, their kids go off to college (laughs) it must be you know or if not worse somebody's teaching my child something (laughs) i'm certainly i feel so bad at every email is like is like sour sorry like ten thousand times be like i'm really sorry i'm asking you i just really you know i want to make sure everything's perfect this is my baby (laughs) (laughs) right yeah no i i get i get the i get the instinct i mean you know listen i I work with a lot of clients and you know there's a lot of yeah, there's a range and <laughs> there's and i find the the you know the the job of the designer art director whatever your title is is to be an educator is to educate mm-hmm. you know your client as much as possible because it's the panicked email phone call text messages of that will happen if they don't know what is going to happen or what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's so one of the things that I did to just like for my own, like to calm myself down because I have this production facility in my basement is I made mock-ups of like, you know, nice. print files and was like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. Like, here's what, here's the size it's going to be at, like all of this stuff, just to, just to like, you know, help me understand. Cause obviously you know, I, I asked for proofs, but it makes sense as to why, you know, they couldn't send them both to Seattle and to um, North Carolina. And so it's like, and then also Chicago. So it's like, th- that makes sense logistically. There's reasons for all of this. Plus, again, you know, they do this all the time, but it was helpful for me. So even going back to my instincts of making a thing is I was like, well, I need to print it out and make it just to check. <laughs> as a therapeutic exercise. Yes. Yeah, it's it was more of a way to try to be like, you don't need to email them again. Just print it out and look at it. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> Which makes me sound incredibly unhinged, but like that's just who well, I am. <laughs> but it's like, but it's, but the, I mean, 
for everyone who is listening who's made comic book, they know the volume of work that goes into it. Yeah. And yeah. so there's no like there's an understanding of like there is such an investment that happens in this process. If you haven't, it is overwhelming the amount of things you have to do. And mm-hmm. to if you are the person who's doing it yourself and then you say someone else is doing it, I that that I get it. I get the I get the yeah. fear factor. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's my first book with a publisher. It's, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, they, everybody who's invested in the work I, I know is invested in the work. And also, no matter who they are, they will never be as invested as I am. Like, it doesn't right. matter. I You could be 100, you could be 200% invested, but like, it's just different. It's a different, it's a different scale, yeah. a different barometer. And like, my you know, attachment or control or, you know, care, whatever, however you want to frame it is, is just, it's, it's something that is very, very, very important to me. Yeah. So on a strategic scale. (laughs) I love these strategy questions. Thanks. Thanks. Um, How does, how does, how does tender fit? Tender is the name of the of the graphic novel, just because so, because i'm oh right i'm an expert when it comes to promoting things in the middle of the podcast um <laughs> not, not at the beginning apparently um so like how strategic is tender for you or was it something you had to say like okay now how do i make this a strategic move or mm. i'm not i'm just making a comic so there's a couple of things I, I don't know if I have like a, a quick, easy answer for that. So forgive me as I word vomit my solution. <laughs> um, one of the big things was the project that I did before Tender was Half Asleep, um, which is a 360 page graphic novel with my collaborator, Kyle. Um, and we self-published that. We put it out in a single issue at a time and we started working on it. Well, the first volume came out, I believe, in 2013. Um, And so he had started writing before that, obviously. But we finished it, or we knew we were going to be finishing it in 2018. Um, And that was a pretty good clip. Like, I feel good about it. I'm, I'm really happy with that project. But that project... During towards the end of that project, we started talking about, okay, what's next, right? We can see the ending. We know where we're going. And I felt... Um, pretty adamant that the next thing I wanted to do is I wanted to do a solo project. Um, I didn't know what I wanted it to be, but I knew that I was like, okay, we just did, I did a solo project for my thesis. We did a collaboration called cycles kind of right away when I was out of grad school. And then he and I immediately started working on half asleep. And then that was, you know, five years later, we wake up from the, 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 the we, we <laughs> emerge from the cocoon of comics. Right. Um, and uh, I knew I wanted to do solo work. I knew that that was going to be positive on my like faculty, kind of like moving that up the the ladder. And so that was our agreement. So that strategy of like next thing's a solo thing, cool. And he's like, great, sounds good. Um, and so I started with like the loose ideas and development for tender like kind of right away in 2018. And then as the book started to take shape, I think I finished the thumbnails in 
2019, I, I think. Um, okay. And then started penciling like end of 2019, early 2020. Um, and then finished pencils. It was another year or so. So as, as the pencils were developing and I was feeling more confident about the book and feeling like, oh, okay, this is a thing that the whole journey of that was going to be, I'm just going to make this thing. Um, I'm going to self-publish it. That's my interest. Um, as the book started to take more shape and become more clear, I realized I wanted it to be in color. So that determined a couple of things is that number one, I was going to draw it digitally, um, which was brand new. This is the first book I've ever done completely digital. Um, number two, I wanted to do it digitally because almost all of my students are working digitally and I can't be that guy who doesn't know how to help them um so the best way to learn is to do a thing <laughs> yep, totally. um, so that was also kind of a strategic choice both for the content of the book and for like my own ability to maintain and and continue to be in a you know mentor role for fact for uh, students and then um field mouse press put out an open call for submissions um, do you know that publishing there? I've heard the name. They're a small, they're a smaller pub. They're, they're really kicking off now. They're um, some of the guys who do Solrad are the publishers. The two that I know personally are um, Alexander Hoffman and Rob Clow, who does high low comics. Um, okay. But so I, I've known Rob for a long time, had not known Alex but they put out an open call for graphic novels. And around the same time I had my most recent like move up in the faculty ladder and was able to show some of the work from tender. And then that got that feedback that like you, like the biggest, you know, thing that's missing is you don't have a book with a publisher. And I was like, okay, so this seems like a good fit. I like these guys. I trust them. It's an open call, you know, they're small pub, but seems like a, a good fit. So um, I submitted it. They were really excited about it. Um, at the same time, I was talking to a friend and they said, well, if you're looking at actually publishing it, um, who's your dream publisher? And I was like, well, my dream publisher is Fantagraphics. Um, and I said, and not just because I love them, but because I think this book actually would fit really nicely in their catalog. I think it has relationship with Katie Skelly's work and Ezra Clayton Daniels work, the two who ended up doing blurbs on the back, which makes me feel kind of swoony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so they were like, well, you know, Gary and Eric, why don't you just email them? And to time jump back a little bit, um, Gary at, so at Emerald City Comic Con one year came up to my table and I didn't know who he was at the time and um, picked up the single issues of half asleep and was like, wow, this cover design is incredible. And he like mm. introduced himself and we just started chatting for a while. And I was, and he was like, you, can you send these to me after the show? And I was like, sure, I'd be delighted. And, you know, of course my eyes lit up and I was so excited and I texted Kyle right away. Like, Oh my God. Um, so Gary and I, since then had had just kind of a casual back and forth that shows we I would go say hi I would show him the new stuff um he talked a little bit about half asleep but that ultimately didn't end up going anywhere and so I was like well I do have the contact for these folks maybe I'll just email and ask like hey I'm working on a new thing would you be interested in seeing it and so this is happening kind of simultaneously and 
they were interested and field mouse was interested and so it kind of became like a back and forth to see which would be the right fit who you know who did i want to work with um and so that you know at the end of the day the offer ended up being from fanta and, and they're my kind of my dream publisher i talked with field mouse about why i did what i did and you know we're on great terms still those guys are so sweet um and I would love to work with them in the future too, if you're listening, Robin, Alex. Um, <laughs> but uh, that that's kind of why it ended up being where it is. So it started as like strategic move for I needed a solo thing, then strategic move for it's going to be in color and I need to learn how to use digital. And then the promotion feedback of you should have a published thing. And I was like, okay, well, let's give this a shot. <laughs> so, wow. but also none of that had anything to do with what the story was or the sto- right the story is like yeah. completely independent of of yes. all of these sort of choices yes. and actions and and huh. if even if field mouse and fanta were like yeah this is cool but like nah dog i was like i'm ready to do this myself and i have no problem with that um because i this was i got to a place where i'm like this book is something i really care about i think it's awesome i'm so excited to put this together and well, cherry on top is somebody else put it together, which is great. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Even though it was a terrifying process. <laughs> Even though I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, well, the story. So the story is, I guess, the, uh, it's a challenging story. I think for you know, for you know, if you're yeah. talking in a spectrum of just for readers, you know, like. Oh, a comic, you know, I think it's challenging. Um, I think if it's people who are, you know, buyers of, you know, fanographics books and, you know, cruising the independent comic lanes at conventions, not so much. Like they're going to go, okay, like this is a personal work of, you know, you know, I'm going to check this out. So, but like you have, I mean, you have interesting themes running through the story in one of them i thought like you were really focused on is the the sort of the that existential pressure of social media mm-hmm. and how that can feed you know the negative you know aspects of our personalities yeah yeah i mean i think that that's a huge I think that's a huge part of my coming of age when I have is like being born in 86. Like I remember being in school before we had computers that did much. Um, I had to take keyboarding classes like and then getting my first iPhone when I was like in my 20s um, and like seeing how that has evolved till now. And then especially like the, like I remember how big of a deal it was to be like, oh my God, SAIC is on Facebook. I can finally join Facebook. And like, I remember <laughs> that and, and, and like all of the great embarrassing AOL instant messenger names I had and, you know, the, the fear of like being in a <laughs> chat room. Oh my God. Right. Like I remember all of that really vividly. And then now being in my thirties and, you know, thinking about how, how I stay in touch with people, how I connect with people is predominant, like folks who I'm not immediately 
around is through social media. And I, you know, that's not uncommon, but it's also as somebody, there's the uptick of like mommy bloggers. There's the uptick of like being a perfect artisan and crafter. There's also the like live streams. There's, you know, and, and this I think expands not just to like being a woman or domesticity. I think it expands in a lot of different ways, but in particular, there is a subsect that is very specifically targeted to like female identified people of like makeup tutorials, like clothing brands, being an MLM seller, like all of this stuff that has happened and like seeing it and witnessing it and being, you know, maybe, maybe uh, subjected to it or also participating in it. (laughs) Like, you know, this, this is, this was a huge, um, this is a huge cultural shift, I think. Um, and and that's that's really powerful to witness and see. Yeah, it's it's huge. You know, the I think about like I'm thinking about your creation and your creations in the terms of a communication that you know we make things, we make things because we, we have this thing inside us. I gotta, I gotta make this thing. I gotta make, write this thing. I gotta draw this thing, whatever the thing is, you make it. And predominantly we're not going like, and everybody's got to see this and like it and love it. Like that's not really where our mind is. You know, we have to, we have to sort of execute whatever this sort of intention is with, with us. And it's real tough because there's this, you know, like I, like I said, we, we, we give ourselves a moment of, of, of a pat on the back and then we move on. But <laughs> I think like there's this weird sort of like, well, I got to put it out there. And then you put it out there like in the social media aspect. And, you know, what is the, what is the, what is the thing that's going to make you happy in doing that? Like, cause right. I don't, I don't think, I think it's a, it's, you know, a sl- you can never gain on it because even you know even if like you put a post up and it gets more hits than you've ever had before well then you're judging the follow-up post on that post that was yeah. the big hit and so it, it's it, it's a law of diminishing returns right and and i think too the the facade of of um polish or success or Mm. and and so much of that i think we're becoming more aware of it but like remembering you know how big of a deal it was to realize that like magazine like martha stewart living right like that's all staged by people there's professionals who do this or like these photos are drastically adjusted and like under trying to realize and understand that that veneer and like figuring out that then now on social media that same thing happens um and and the the reality of the judgment that you have of being like wow this person got you know they went viral they have two million likes on this thing and like i only got 10 like that's i feel terrible and it's like dude this is that this is a probably that person's job and b they probably have a team of people doing this like there's ghostwriters there's professional photographers there's all this stuff but somehow they're we're still paying, they're paying for likes yes and you know there's a there's yeah a or there's co- bots there's... just farming it right like yes and we yeah. still though there's a part of our brains i think is that we're still feeling like i'm not doing enough it's not enough i'm not there like 
I and and there there's something really really palpable and really sad and and really painful about it too. Beth, it's so tough. I mean, like I I've been doing this for four years, and I love having engaged conversations, but then like weakness will creep in and go, well, why is not everybody listening to this? Yeah. And I get it. Listen, it's niche. It's a niche of a niche. Like (laughs) if you're not into comics, (laughs) you're not going to be looking for this. Right. And then, you know, creators, I think predominantly listen to this because, you know, like, Hey, I I understand like we're talking shop talk, you know, and that may not be interesting for someone who is a, of, of, of uh, just a, of an enjoyer of comic books unless they're like oh i love beth and i want to hear i love her work so i want to hear her talk that's right. understandable but that's only one segment of the you know the recording you know that mm-hmm. i'm offering and then i go most of you know i artists say like oh yeah i listen to your show while i'm drawn I'm like okay well as I write, I don't listen to anything with words in it. So I know that every single writer who could be a listener isn't listening. Right. Because right. they can't. Yeah. So I go, okay. Like, so I can't judge myself against what a curve might be for someone who is throwing up all the most popular comic book things and slamming the things that everyone else is slamming. Cool. Nice. Yeah. And then expand that to like how you raise your children, expand that to how you present and how you look like there's Mm -hmm. so many subsections and intersections of what that is. And like the character in my book is so tied into this idea that she needs to be that and she needs to look like that and she needs to have these things because otherwise she's worthless and I think right. that that's not that's as sad and as dark and as twisted as the story gets like at its at its center. I think that that's not a it's not a individual or isolated issue or isolated thought that no one like there's not zero people who've had that thought, you know, of course. Right. I mean, it, it's it really it is. I mean, it permeates most everybody's day in some fashion. Mm hmm. And, you know, to, and everybody struggles it with one way. I mean, I remember I got off of Facebook maybe like 10 years ago mm. because I couldn't stand the fakery of Facebook. I couldn't stand the fact that the people who I knew and I'd known for decades, that what they were putting up there wasn't what their life was. And I'm like, I don't, I couldn't. I couldn't square that circle. Like it just mm. really, really kind of made me confused and unhappy. And instead of like posting stacks of bills, you know, and stuff that needed to be fixed or cleaned up in my house and in my life, I got off. Like, I'm like that. My solution was to not sort of like yeah. burn the ship and, you know, and go, <laughs> fuck you. Um, I just stepped away. Um but it's it's a re- it's a really really hard thing because the tools that are that we are you know freely using uh you know are a giant sociological experiment for profit and yeah. it's a real tough yeah. thing that we are caught in the you know in the crosshairs of that yeah and i think also too there's 
there are different levels of awareness people have and and myself included i'm not exempt from this by oh, any means yeah, yeah. of like awareness of like how and who and when the strings are being pulled you know and especially in what am i noticing what am i seeing like how am i interacting on this platform and who's documenting it and and then what am i seeing because of that like you know all of that stuff is factored in and and a part of it and becomes like something that is like this rat king of like, <laughs> it's just all tangled and messy and biting everything. It's horrible. Yeah. Where did the, where did the, where did the meat theme come in for you? Was that, was that an early thing or was that a later thing? Like how did the, like, because like, I mean, I get the metaphor that you're applying, mm. you know, in, 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 you know, throughout the story, but I'm, I'm wondering like where that came in as a story developed yeah uh i think about i don't know i've i've there's <laughs> one of the like inspirations for the book is no shock to anyone i think will be rosemary's baby um mm. and there's a really uh pivotal scene when she is like early in her pregnancy and she's craving meat and craving like red meat and she kind of like sears a steak very quickly and then eats it very bloody and then there's another moment where she eats like a raw like liver like an uncooked liver piece and like catches herself being like horrified by herself um i think that the meat kind of came in tied to like the strange cravings that pregnancy can you know create in people but then i also wanted this like hint at um like ordering a steak is quote unquote not ladylike <laughs> there's something about the like perception of a woman who enjoys meat as being this like idea that that's not proper or there's something where you're like oh that's notable for some for some fucked up reason that's notable um and i think that that really bristles me in general and so i wanted right away like the very first things you see her eat are she goes from these like microwave dinners at home to this like meat sandwich and then she the double stack sandwich yeah and then her friend says something about it and her friend is always eating a salad um even even if there's like a brunch scene with her and her friends and like she orders a steak and every single other person has a salad at the table and i think that there's like there's this piece of it that makes me feel like i wanted her to stand out as different from the get-go despite her desire to fit in um and that felt like a really interesting way to play with it and then obviously the meat and like hunger for that there's like yeah there's there's some the the metaphor that's being pulled with some of that is is i think the idea of like what's good for you what's not good for you like the way you're supposed to your body is being supported or controlled or like your nutrients things like that is folded in yeah yeah and it's interesting because you know you have these two sort of elements in the story that are kind of drawing upon like our uh our, our base our base urges and needs you know so you have this social mm -hmm. social sort of acceptancy element and then you have this 
you know, food, this, this, this meat, this, this survival thing. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost showing that she can't control either of those things. Yeah. You know, so like, she can't like not post this framed image to show off something like, Hey, it's the most, it's the most value, you know, the biggest day in your life, you know? And you're, you're, you, you got to stop the moment and, you know, and, t- and take a picture, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're out with the ladies, you know, and this is the right social engagement, but you're eating a steak, you know, like these are like, and it's not saying that eating a steak is wrong. No. Yeah. Except for the cow. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, but, it, but it's the fact that she can't just go like, I'm going to, I'm going to play along with that. You know, like she, yeah. she is her base desires and needs or wants these are more wants than needs i think are 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 kind of coming out yeah yeah and and that i think is really important because i wanted it to be clear in the story that even if um even if you maybe don't notice it right away but she is off from the beginning um and and the timeline you know is not linear it it jumps around in time a little bit but if you follow it in a linear fashion before she meets lee before any of the stuff with her family like any of that she something's not okay um and and i needed that to be prevalent from the get-go because i did not want it to seem like she had this horrible luck and this horrible stuff and then she went and snapped and like right these are all factors but it's it's you know it's it's compounded and it's it's not just one thing it's multiple things that are escalating to get her to this point yeah i mean it's it's the it's the obsessive compulsive behavior that you know comes out like in the picking aspect you know yeah. like all these little kind of things and those things are uncontrollable but they are you know they're, they're the harbingers of potential problems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well and, and another thing that's like you know considered poor etiquette of like picking at your nails or biting them or mm-hmm. um you know having having unmanicured nails even like all of this stuff that's tied to behavior that's tied to traditional or um societal expectations for femininity or domesticity and the fact that we're always performing roles in different ways and for carol ann that is something where the dial is turned up way beyond 11 (laughs) for her Mm -hmm. yeah like quitting your job you know and you know becoming a you know a susie homemaker in that respect like there was a you know it's interesting. I mean, you 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 really you know tackled a lot of subjects and in themes in the in the story. So thank you. Yeah. You know, good. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I I mean, oh, you know, it's hard to say I enjoyed it, but I did enjoy it. You know? <laughs> yeah. That seems to for folks who have read it, it, that seems to be kind of a a similar thing. Is they're like, yeah, it's great, but like you know, it's it's not great, but like right, I liked it, right. but I didn't. <laughs> it's really really well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I really like that steak. means a lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> Fan, that's the pull quote right there. That's perfect. <laughs> so, um, when does it come out? G- 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 do the do the spiel. If you, you got, bet. If you have a spiel ish 
spiel away. Yeah, so um, Tender comes out on March 12th, 2024, very soon. Um, you can get it wherever you get books. Um, if you order through Fantagraphics directly and you're within the first 150 orders, you'll get a custom book plate by yours truly. Um, there is it's a psychological thriller with body horror elements about this woman Carol Ann who wants to control and um is so hungry for a picture perfect life um obviously if you're listening to this podcast and you got to this point you maybe have picked out some of those ideas but I I do want to make (laughs) sure that I'm I'm appropriately identifying that this is horror um please check content warnings if you find that that's helpful for you um there are plenty of them uh that you should know about if you would like um but i'm not going to give them unless uh folks want them so um, yeah that's fair and uh yeah but also and you can find that you can find more information um, on the fantagraphics site you can find out stuff about me um my socials are at beth hetland one word so h-e-t-l-a-n-d um and then my website is just uh, beth-hetland.com you can find out about books that are not horror on that website as well. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, I will make sure that all the stuff is in the uh, description so people can click on stuff if they're in there. Um, Yeah. It's congratulations. Thank you. I think that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's no small feat when you make a thing and it gets out there in the world. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm very, very excited. I, as, uh, as twisted as it is, I'm, I'm still very proud of my dark, twisted little bundle. It should be. Bundle. You should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you absolutely should be. Um, are you going to be doing any shows this year for people who yeah. need up? Yeah, I'm doing a ton of shows. I feel like probably I need to get um, just like a concise list on my website. But I think one of the big ones, and especially if you're – are you still in the New York area? No, I don't. Okay. I, I left years and years ago. Okay, okay. Well, um, for East Coast stuff, that first weekend after the book debut, so that'll be March sixteenth and seventeenth. I will be tabling at Mocha, um, in New York. Oh, cool. Um, I'm also doing a bunch of different events. Uh, doing like kind of mini tour pockets in between teaching my classes this year. Um, but I'll be doing for sure Mocha and TCAF, um, Detroit Zine Fest, uh. And I think, oh, and there's a one that's like right early that's really, really niche that I'm excited about called the Scare Lastic Book Fair. <laughs> that's an all horror themed book fair um, for prose and for um, comics. And so that's going to be oh, in right Indianapolis, on. like March 2nd, I think. Um, so those are kind of the ones that are like big and confirmed right now. So, but right more to well, come. That's great. You, I, I, I maybe get you to uh heroes you can sit with kayla and you can sit with uh yes. noah van skyver you guys can have have, have all sorts of indie talk oh that would be great i've heard great things about that show actually from a bunch of different folks it's great for it's great for everyone in the terms you know like if you're indie or if you're mainstream like it's just a love fest of great creators so so cool um yeah maybe reach out to them and see if, if, see yeah. if they uh they have some space for you. That would um, be ideal. Thank you for the advanced reading copy because it was of really course. quite, yeah, it was great to read. And uh, I guess shout, shout out to our mutual friend for the uh, 
for the hookup and uh, glad, glad we made the connection. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tyrell. And thank you so much for having me on this. I had such a treat talking with you. Thanks. No, this is an absolute pleasure. Kick butt this year and make some, make some great people smarter in your classes. I, I'm going to, I'm going to gosh darn try. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right on. Thank you so much. Thanks.